Welcome along, folks. Welcome to the Inside Line F1 podcast. And this is a special episode. Now, as you might know, Formula One is returning to the US for the 2021 American GP at the Circuit of the Americas. It's a track that is a bit divisive in nature, but it has it has given us a few very good races. And so Kunal and I were just thinking, well, what if we just sit down on a Sunday afternoon, maybe figure out a few of our favorite races that Formula One has had in the US and have a fun chat on them. And that is exactly what we're going to do today. But before we get down into all of that, we first have a very special announcement for you. On Wednesday, of course, on the Inside Line F1 podcast, we are so, so glad to announce that Bob Varsha, the legendary Formula One broadcaster for Speed back in the day, is going to be on the podcast. And we're going to talk about the future of American Formula One and how Liberty Media has transformed things. And actually, have they cracked the code? So Bob Varsha on the Inside Line F1 podcast this Wednesday. You might know him from the Formula E broadcast over the last decade or something like that. So there's that. And I'm so, so pumped for it. But Kunal, let's just get to Formula 1 in the US. And it's been an amazing history, right? We often tend to think of US as the land of only Indy cars and the land of only NASCARs. But it's crazy to think that the US has far more Formula 1 history than we all think it has. And there are so many crazy races we're going to pick out today. But which one stands out for you as your most memorable one? You know, I'm actually going to just wait before I answer Uh that because I can't tell you how excited I am for Bob Varsha to be joining us on the podcast. You know, it's it's like we've had we've had former world champion drivers like Mika Hakkinen and Coulthard, of course, not a world champion, but just saying we've had some really stalwart drivers. But here's the first time we're going to have a stalwart broadcaster in himself joining our show and, you know, looking forward to America and just you know a couple of thoughts about why america is so crucial you know and why liberty media is focusing the two races next year and all of that is because it's america you know it's a great sports marketing market as we know and uh, this is something we'll discuss a little more in depth with bob but uh, you know formula one's failed attempts is what's going to actually come out <laughs> when somil and i go through the whole episode today because when you actually sit down like you said Samuel when you sit down to read Formula One's history in the United States of America there have been just so many false starts right and hopefully that's that's where Liberty Media is hopefully cracking the code one race at a time and uh, there's a better future ahead for all of us because like you said there is a lot of motorsport that actually happens in the US of A and now Formula One is trying to find its own footing there, there itself, right? But there you go. That's my two bits of knowledge. But now talking about the most memorable races that I remember and in no particular order, but 2018 United States Grand Prix, it's Ooh, a yes. race we're going to remember for a long, long, long time. And I, of course, uh, Mithila is not on the show, but you know she messaged me when I said, hey, this is what Samuel and I are discussing. And she said, it has to be 2018. And Guys, I'm sure you all know. Uh, I think the only thing I remember from the race was Kimi Raikkonen winning. It was his last Grand Prix win. And then his radio message, which is actually the perfect for a meme or perfect for a T-shirt. If you guys ever plan to go and, you know, sort of print a radio message on the T-shirt, Samuel. Just Kimi, right? He's the most marketable Formula 1 driver you can have just for their team radio. But... What a race that was. And you're so right about it. I think that race 
must have opened quite a few doors in the US because if you're just having a fun weekend and you roll up to the circuit of the Americas and you see this guy that everyone reveres so much take his first win in five years must be crazy but yeah that, that we can't say that message obviously we we don't want to add words like that on the podcast but it was something to do with finally and and that is that, that was what it was but just just the circumstance of how it happened Kunal the whole season Kimi was just second best to Sebastian Vettel but this one race this one race Kimi was like yeah just one last time I have to go for it and wow I I remember a friend of mine decided to sleep for this race because it was a bit too late in the day here in India bad bad decision that <laughs> but yes yeah, Samil you know you are the history buff so you know guys just so you all know when Samil and I were exchanging notes he suddenly pulled out like these 10 races from you know 500 centuries ago and i'm like dude okay hold on you know i need to prepare a lot more for this episode than like ever before but samil what's your memorable memorable race that you'd like to first share with all of us oh actually before i get to that there was one thing about 2018 that we must add in that made it extra special it was the year when we got the neo guy when he just popped up into a microphone and and randomly started making formula 1 car sounds so that that just adds to the beauty of 2018 circuit of the americas that and formula 1 acknowledged it kunal that's the best part formula 1 were like yeah fine yeah. <laughs> it just adds to it. <laughs> it, it they did and you know that neo thing was actually so perfect and you know mithila was of course just going to remind me that we are recording and distributing this episode talking about kimi's last win on the Ooh. day of his birthday it's also his birthday today that's big that's how big a kimi raikkonen fan you know we've we've got him as our you know third co-host on the show samil and i don't remember birthdays you know just about remember mine i would say i don't know when yours is but yeah, <laughs> there you go oh man this is incredible i i wonder what the mood would have been like if you guys knew each other when michael was dropped for um drop the time whatever but but when when michael went off from ferrari in 2006 and kimi was brought in kunal of course being the biggest michael fan but we we have to discuss that on a separate episode definitely <laughs> because that moment still a little bit controversial many may say but for for my race right what what race do i remember the most from the us i'll go to a really obscure one according to many i'm going to go for the us gp west from 1983 and now you might be saying well what is a us gp west well the us has had many many names uh for formula 1 races it's been the dallas grand prix it's been detroit grand prix it's been the us gp of course the us gp west as well uh even the caesar's palace grand prix which we will come to by the way but this race was just absurd kunal because john watson uh, of mclaren eventually won this race but can you take a guess about where he started this race from Yes, I can because I did good research and <laughs> he still holds the record for a driver to have won a Formula 1 race from the lowest starting point on the grid and he was of course not the last but he started P22 yes. and he finished all the way to P1 and it was his fifth and final win from what I remember and uh, you know because it was you know P22 to P1 a lot of people actually end up forgetting that his McLaren teammate uh Nikki Lauda went from P23 to yeah. P2 so it was like a McLaren dominance altogether all through and the one quirky moment that I really remember and I've seen videos of this before sort of connecting it with what we are recording right now was KK Rosberg's 
spin from P2 and he had yes. this you know 360 degree spin he was breaking right behind Renny Arnoux and then he was P2 he spun and he rejoined in P2 it was it was as good as you know no no position lost a little bit of time lost but he still held on somehow and and when you look at KK Rosberg right uh, of course Nico Rosberg's father that's the correlation 1982 world champion KK just just looks like the most machismo of all machismo people you could ever imagine he's got this amazing mustache he, he used to be really buff back in the day smoking cigars in the paddock and to see him do a 360 comeback without losing a position it was just like yeah things are okay i was just trying to have a little bit of fun and that's just an outrageous moment which you have to watch once this episode ends but from that race as well it was funny because it's long beach and long beach is a circuit which is incredibly hard to pass on There are so many different places where one might be able to put their car on the inside line but just again it's very very tight very narrow very bumpy as well and a very fun reason as to why McLaren qualified the way they qualified because Michelin that year were having real big troubles with their qualifying tires and you might be thinking why Michelin well they're they're good tire manufacturers it was the year when formula 1 was in a in a bit of a turbo hot mess when Renault had brought in turbo cars and all the other teams were just getting used to it and turbo cars meant 1000 horsepower during qualifying with no traction control can you imagine having 1000 horsepower behind you in the least sophisticated formula 1 cars of all time on at long beach when the walls are just next to you it must have been crazy so mclaren qualified i think 3 seconds down one day and and watson got his final win but the reason why it makes it extra special kunal is that Watson was treated a bit like Bottas at Mercedes. He was always second fiddle to Nicky Lauda of sorts. And the fun thing was, he was dropped for Alan Prost at the end of the year because of course Prost was having a really good run with Renault. But it would be like Valtteri Bottas winning say this year's USGP from P20, coming back up and being dropped because George Russell was coming in next year. It's just outstanding stuff. All of that might still anyway happen because we know yeah. he's been sort of <laughs> dropped. and we never know when mercedes decide to put on a sixth engine on him just cause they oh, can do so you know <laughs> but uh, you know you mentioned this michel in fact which is very interesting and this takes me to my sort of next race to remember in fact it's a race to forget oh yes but there's a reason why it's a race to remember for a lot of fans michelin of course the 2005 grand prix at the indianapolis uh i guess the worst advertisement for formula 1 world over you know yeah. six cars racing the whole you know bridgestone michelin saga just exploded and um again michael fan i knew it was great for him it'll help him in the title race because clearly he was you know not he needed whatever he needed to to take the fight to fernando alonso right and i still remember there were two things that i was really trying to do for that race first was convince people why formula 1 did the right thing by banning uh, or <laughs> by not changing the the circuit or putting the extra chicane to help michelin because i was like you know michelin got the wrong tire this one's on them but you know almost 20 years hence or whatever 18 years hence i'm like yeah well formula 1 should have found a way to make sure yeah. that we had a proper race instead of a farcical race that we had and then you know being an indian fan i was pretty close to naren kartikeyan at that point of time since i was racing as well and then i saw oh my god here's his chance to finish on the podium but that didn't happen either you know we know what uh, tiago montiero did he pulled that jordan up onto the podium 
So 2005, again, a race that everyone would love to forget. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if people listening into this episode are just hitting skip 30, skip 30, <laughs> skip 30 till we end up finishing talking about this race. So well. Let's add to the misery a little bit more. Why did why did not F1 find a solution, Kunal? Because, I mean, Ralph Schumacher had a major accident, if I remember correctly, on Friday, which was scary to watch and still is scary to watch, by the way, when his tyre literally just gave up on the banking, which is fast. And many might argue it's supposed to be taken the wrong way. It's supposed to be taken left, not towards the right. But whatever, that's something for later on. But thing is, he really had that major accident and then every team sort of backed up. But why couldn't they just install a chicane over there? Which they did eventually when the track went for some upgrades. And we saw a bit of a cut inside, which we, uh, which was used, by the way, for 2007 onwards. But why, why couldn't F1 do what they did here? Because that's just Formula One. It's a very, very political sport. Different teams, different stakeholders, everyone looking out for themselves, but not looking out for the greater good of the sport. <laughs> and uh, it was just that, you know, that they couldn't come up to a consensus. And yes, scary crashes. You can blame Michelin all you want, but that's, I think, uh, long gone. And I'm glad those days of running the sport are are done with because, yeah. you know, now the way Liberty Media are treating each Grand Prix and each country with a view to sort of increase uh, you know, viewership, increase the passion for the sport. I think it's fantastic. And uh, I'm looking forward to Miami Grand Prix next year and whenever a third Grand Prix even happens in, in the US of Ace Summer. Yeah, and we'll talk to Bob Varsha about that. So don't forget to tune in to the Inside Line F1 podcast on Wednesday to listen to that special episode. But next up, after Indianapolis, should we go back in time, Kunal? How, how much back in time do we want to go? 80s or 60s? Because we can choose a little bit between the two. Yeah, that's the thing with Samuel. You know, given that, that he's still less than 18 years old, he still remembers races like 50 years ago. So, Samuel, take your pick. Okay, let's go to the 60s because we spoke about Ferrari uh, in Indianapolis 2005, which was made worse by the fact that Barrichello was told, let Michael go. I mean, as always, in a way. So that that sucked because well, we could have seen a battle between Ferraris. But with Ross Brown at the helm, he just wouldn't let them fight. Naturally, right? He, that's the right thing for them to do at that point. But Ferrari has had a very weird history back in the day. Now, in, 1960, in 1964, basically, Ferrari had a bit of an issue with the Italian governing body. And they wanted to homologate a few cars for, for some racing. And Ferrari, of course, had a clever way of doing things. They didn't, he didn't want to create 100 different road cars. He would just have 25 road cars, have the authorities come in, show them those cars at a parking garage, take them for a cup of coffee. And by the time you could actually change the cars in, maybe bring some other ones and say that, right, there's 25 more and just eventually get to 100. It's, it's silly gamesmanship, right? But... The Italian governing body found, found a way around that and Ferrari said, well, you, you're just constricting my efforts of racing and carrying the Italian pride. So in the 1964 Italian Grand Prix, Ferrari didn't race in red. They were actually racing under the North American Racing Team name. And that was, I think, a race where John Surtees finished second. Uh, Graham Hill was first. A really crazy Grand Prix at the Watkins Glen circuit of old, which is, by the way, amazing. If you just get a chance to watch onboards of it, even if it is a simulator one, just go for it. But how crazy is it, Kunal? Ferrari in blue for the silliest of reasons. I mean, pure Ferrari dramatics in a way, you can call it. But Enzo saying, I'm the one carrying the nation's pride all the time. Absolutely. And, you know, every time we hear Ferrari has raced in every single race in Formula One, 
there are these you know little bits and pieces of facts you can pull out where they've actually skipped i think 27 odd races and yeah. this was de- you know this was definitely the blue one so it was not the official ferrari entry it was by the gentleman luigi chinetti if i remember the name who mm. had the who had the right to sell ferraris in the you know in the united states of america back then and uh, but ferrari's history of course you know in the 60s uh between 60 and 63 again they skipped two races just because they we could skip you know because they were different reasons that they would come up with to not race in the <laughs> united states of america and i in fact even remember you know in 2002 um michael schumacher and barry kello had a photo finish and that was oh. schumacher sort of just gradually lifting off on the last corner and both the ferrari sort of crossed the finishing line to register the the narrowest winning margin between p1 and p2 and this was schumacher's way of saying thank you to rubens for Austrian. the 2001 austrian grand prix yeah. just the year before so again you know like i said you know the there were very there were cracks in the code back in what formula 1 and of course what ferrari did uh, you know back in time trying to popularize the sport in uh, america sovel Yeah, they really didn't treat it well. <laughs> This is just like treating it like an absolute joke, but it isn't because Ferrari at that time as well in the '60s too, they were selling most of their cars in the US. And uh, you can read more of this in Brock Yates's book, which can all recommend it to me. It's an absolute game changer on Ferrari's perspective, basically. And what happened there was Ferrari didn't treat Luigi Chinetti well. He was always just like, yeah, he's there in this distant country away, never to be seen, unless of course he comes back with some sort of problem, which was always the case because Ferraris of the old. were not of the best quality so there was that but crazy race and certes eventually won the decider in Me- uh, not won the decider but got the better of graham hill in the decider in mexico city and became the first person to win a world championship on bikes and in race cars as well canal it just baffles my mind to see this even i mean it's a stat that we've grown up with basically i mean we we've all heard that certes has done this certes has done that but If you just put it into context, it seems outrageous that anyone could ever do that and still be booted out by Ferrari a couple of years later due to internal politics. <laughs> you know, I, I think this is the one question that comes up in pretty much every Formula One or motorsport quiz because only man, of course, back then was living, but only man to have ever done this. And I don't see uh, something like this happening ever again, yeah. just with the way Formula One and MotoGP is structured and so on. I did have this feeling again, you know, back in time when uh, you know Valentino Rossi was testing with Ferrari, and I said, "Oh my God, is he going to really go for John Surtees's uh, or Sir John Surtees's uh, record?" You know, and I was really hopeful because it's Valentino Rossi, you know. And then you just realize he was having fun with cars, and then he drove rally cars, and he did everything else. And there we go. So it's going to be another record which is going to stand good for. probably forever yeah. i would say sambal and and it should it's just quite something and certes had quite the race over there but for all the good races canal there has to be a few bad ones as well and i suppose the next one on your list just is not not one but a few races to forget i suppose no they are and you know it just shows how formula 1 has evolved in time you know we're we are expecting the saudi arabian grand prix at the end of this year they're putting together a special circuit mm-hmm. qatar you know with the losale circuit in 2023 again it's not sure if they'll use that or they'll have a new facility altogether and uh, 
back in you know 1981 and 82 formula one went racing at the caesar palace that was the name of the hotel <laughs> they actually ended up racing in the parking lot of that hotel so yes you heard me right guys for everyone who's been following formula one you know since only the few years since you know drive to survive sort of made it really big formula one i'm going to repeat it formula one raced in the car park of a hotel in las vegas in 1981 and 1982 and to just give you a very simple perspective right when you know when uh, when i was running the force india junior driver program and we were doing go-kart races around india to try and get <laughs> new and young talent to come in we actually were hunting for car parks as well of course <laughs> you know it's easier to <laughs> convert a car, car park into a go-kart circuit and get it you know homologated or certified by the local governing body than to do it for Formula One, but they did it, you know, in 1981 and 1982, Samal. This makes me palm Every time I hear about Caesars Palace Grand Prix, it just makes me palm. Like, why did you even bother? And as I said, the US has a history of having multiple different names for GPs. It unfortunately also has a history of hosting absolutely terrible racing circuits. Dallas was bad. Detroit was even worse than that. Detroit is just like a mess. It's, it's like a maze. Las Vegas was just the absolute worst circuit you will ever see. It's, it's like a, it's like a mold of wheat. There is literally nothing to it. There's no character. There's no surface. There's, there's just nothing to it, and there's nothing around as well because it's Las Vegas. It's like Formula One deliberately said, "Kunal, yeah, it's Las Vegas. We can take a chance. People here always take a chance, so might as well give it a shot and see what happens." But wow, what a, what a circuit that was! And we did see one of the most crazy title deciders there as well, eighty-two. When uh, when KK Rosberg won his world championship, and I think he became the first driver ever to win a world championship with the least amount of races won, which was only one, and eighty two was just a dramatic year. If you ever get the time, read more about it. But do you think it'll ever happen again, Kunal? Ever that Formula One goes to a car park of a hotel <laughs> of all things? You know, maybe to do a show car run, Red Bull or one of them would do that, but never to have a Grand Prix race, I would say. And for once, I can say 81, 82, all of that was way before my time as well. Usually I'm like the old man on the podcast with Samil, you know, <laughs> saying, you know, hey, I'm yet to earn a driver's license for obvious reasons. But yeah. yeah, crazy when you sit back and read all the history about all these races that have happened. And of course, right now we are just focusing on America. There are crazy races that have happened you know, sort of all around the, the world as well, Samuel, and uh, hopefully never again, given safety and given all those things that we need to focus on each time a Formula One Grand Prix, you know, is about mm. to happen. I can't imagine Michael Massey actually going to a hotel car park and trying to homologate that car park as the FI, you know, circuit, uh, you know, A grade or circuit burn accreditation, whatever it, it's needed to host a Formula One Grand Prix. But again, if it's in the Middle East, it'll happen. Uh, it's just with something with Formula One in the Middle East. You give them whatever, they will just approve a race over there. Uh, have you seen the onboards for Saudi Arabia? Uh, what is it, like 400 corners in the circuit? I don't even know. Uh, but let's get to the final one. You mentioned safety, Kunal. And safety was a prevalent one in this final one that I'm going to bring out. It was the 1984 Dallas Grand Prix. And let's just lay down the context. Alan Prost is leading the championship from Nikki Laura. This is a big one. Everything is on it. This is round 9 of 16. Things are just getting really close and Prost needs a good result. So we come to Dallas. And Dallas is a hot place. If, if you live in the US of A, you know that Dallas is a really hot city, as, as most of Texas can be at times. 
but it was so hot canal that the surface was actually breaking up. Formula 1 had Can-Am cars racing in. You have to see Can-Am cars. Oh my god, they just look amazing. But they had uh, Can-Am cars racing on the same weekend. It was so hot there and the cars were so crazily low that the surface broke up. And Formula 1 had a really tough time actually getting to have a race on Sunday. I can imagine. And you know, from my notes, the, the, the crazy thing I actually noted was it was also very, very hot. Uh, Grand Prix, which is one of the reasons why the quick fix cement did not work. Oh, that's right. Uh, you know, it, oh. yeah. <laughs> but the drivers couldn't deal with the heat as well. And one driver in particular had a very interesting way of how he dealt with the heat. Of course, he couldn't eventually deal with it. But Nigel Mansell, in one of his pit stops, actually they threw a, bu- a bucket of cold water on him just to keep him. Yeah. and to to help him cope with the, the extremely high temperature sommel exactly and you know how hot it was in qualifying it was 38 degree celsius it's rarely ever 38 in, in mumbai which is a hot place to be honest with you and track temperatures were the highest that goodyear have ever seen had rather seen in their history it was 66 degrees in the race it reached 38 degrees in the air that must have been crazy. And, and Nigel Mansell, could not, he fainted at the end too. He was just doing this um, uh, heroic Hollywood movie kind of thing where he tried to push his car across the line in the final lap, but he fainted and fell on his front right tyre, which is just a, a beautiful visual. But my word, he must have had a few <laughs> heat strokes and a really burnt backside. A ridiculous race. But th- what makes it even more special is the fact that Mansell, firstly, had pole position right there for Lotus Renault. Again, in that time where qualifying used to be Uh, I'll actually lay down some context for this. For qualifying, drivers used to have different engines that would only last, take a deep breath, two laps. 1,000 horsepower, two laps. One out lap, one uh, one quick fire in short lap. 1,000 horsepower. At a circuit like Dallas, it's just ridiculous to see how they would handle something quite like that. But Nigel Mansell, of course, with his bravado style of driving, he was able to make things work out. But KK Rosberg and his coolness, Kunal, I mean, again, a cool Finn winning a race, in a hot situation. When have we seen that before? Eventually got the edge and won for Williams. But what really made this race special? Lauda and Prost both retired. And I mean, with Prost having his puncture, one might have thought that, oh, Lauda can finish slightly higher up and take a few points off Prost's lead. But he couldn't. Even he had issues later on. And this is just a, a, a very, very, sto- a very, Fun race in terms of what kind of story it painted for, painted for Formula 1 right there. I mean, just, just classic F1 US race, basically. Yes, and you know, given my love for all things st- stats and numbers, two drivers, just two drivers finished on the lead lap of the oh race. My. And they were not from the same team. Now, typically, that's even more important because, you know, you'd see two Mercedes drivers finishing on the lead lap and it's just the two of them. But here, both the drivers were not from the same team, Samuel. So... Phenomenal history, phenomenal races to sort of discuss to. And I'm sure if you bring Lucien on the show, he'll add five more races that he would sort of remember, you know, that stood out, uh, you know, when Formula One went racing in, in the United States of America. So. Yeah, and from that race canal, around 20 drivers who didn't finish. <laughs> uh, wow, ridiculous, ridiculous. But folks, that is that. That is our six most memorable races from Formula 1's history in the USA. And you can let us know your thoughts as well. Social media lets us do that. So reach out to us on our social media handles. Link in the description. And just 
Share your thoughts. Let us know what your most ridiculous F1 race was back in the US and what you think could happen when Formula 1 goes to Miami and firstly to the circuit of the Americas. And also, send in your questions for Bob Varsha right now on social media. Reach out to us because this episode on Wednesday, Kunal, I get a feeling this is going to be a really good one. Absolutely. It's going to be a really fun one. I'm going to be sitting back and listening to you know, the two oh. stalwart broadcasters talk. I'll just add in a few points, but I'm waiting to hear all the history being put in perspective by a person who's actually been calling them out and seeing it as they've happened. Yeah. And uh, I'd also love to discuss what the future actually is because the future is being set in motion as we speak. Um, and we leave more for the show on Wednesday, guys. Exactly. Don't forget to send in your questions, but thank you for listening to us on this one, folks. Have a good weekend and enjoy the USGP weekend on the whole. And we'll be bringing you a ton of stuff on the Inside Line F1 podcast to keep you updated and to keep you having a bit of fun in the build-up. See you then, folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.